Hello, and welcome to the Wheel of Crime podcast, the podcast where two ladies play games involving a wheel, mumble profanities, and laugh way too often. As well, this podcast covers sensitive topics, and as such, listener discretion is advised. blocks oh yeah Fun. i feel like this one's a little bit damaged though i don't know <laughs> hi welcome to our podcast that we do yes hello and welcome my name is M. my name is jen and, and we are the wheel of crime <laughs> wow we're getting so good okay you guys it's during times like this i wish you could see us because jen just gave me the biggest look of panic ever and she's like i gotta follow her <laughs> i was like looking at your lips like wheel of crime <laughs> <laughs> oh boy but yes welcome to uh royal crime yes it's another special episode yes of royal crims because Victoria Day, man. That's coming up on Monday. Whoa, we're keeping consistent with the times. Yes, we are so consistent with the times. Emily bought a calendar. I can see it here. Yes, it's got dogs it's on it. the wrong month, but that's okay. Oh, is it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> it sure is. No, it's still April. No, it's not. It's yes, May. it is. No, it's April. I'm pretty sure it's April. <laughs> It'll be Monday. Monday will be Victoria Day for you. Yeah. It won't be for us. I have to go to work. Mm-hmm. It's true. And I will also likely be working somewhere far away. So shad. Me too. I'll be in Lethbridge. I will probably be in uh, BC. I'd way rather be there <laughs> than Lethbridge. Not the part of BC I'm going to. It's very logging industry heavy. Fun. Yes. But let us spin our wheel and ask our questions to each other. (laughs) Let's see. So, would you rather marry into royalty or find out that you have royal heritage? I'd rather find out that I have royal heritage because I feel like there's a lot more pressure when you marry into the royal family. Mm Mm-hmm. Because you're, like, expected to be so prim and proper and whatever. Whereas, like, a lot of, like, legit royals, they're, like, Total shit disturbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel I feel that like on a personal Prince level. Like Prince Harry, he's a shit disturber, and we all know it. And we all know it. <laughs> Meghan Markle ain't calming that guy down. Nope, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, I feel like I I actually agree with you too on that one. I'd rather find out I have royal heritage because then also cool. Yeah, and then, like, you can also look into your family history a bit, and I feel like it would you'd be able to find a lot more about your history that way, too, whereas marrying into royalty comes with a lot of pressure and rules and... Well, that, and you will have a lot of additional responsibilities, too. Like, everybody has their own responsibilities as an individual, and then it's kind of like, multiply that by ten, because now you can never do anything with anybody, ever, without, you know, having somebody watch you, right? And sell magnets of your babies at souvenir shops. And I also do not want magnets of my (laughs) babies in souvenir shops. (laughs) Me either. I can't say that's something I'd want. (sighs) All right, so... 
Would you rather be a good ruler and poor or a bad ruler and wealthy? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> How poor? <laughs> How poor? <laughs> like you've spent all of your money helping out other people and you have nothing to show for it yourself. I want to say that, but part of me is also like, I like vacations. <laughs> Can I have a side hustle? You could. There's nothing saying you couldn't be a good ruler with a side hustle. Okay, I'll be a good ruler with a side hustle because, like, I still want to go to Fiji one day. <laughs> the Bora Bora is still on my list. Bora Bora? You can't go to Bora Bora when you're Pora Pora. <laughs> yeah, Bora Bora is not for the Pora Pora. No way. That's our goal one day. Together we're going to go to Bora Bora. Right? And get one of those, like, huts where you can swim under the hut and everything. Everybody in the house can watch you. And we're going to bring John so we can take photos of us. But like, we're going to be like, John, you can't do anything because this trip is for us. <laughs> John, you got to stand in the corner and pretend like you're not here. And then we just put a lampshade over his head. <laughs> you're not here. This is a girl's trip. <laughs> this is a girl's trip. I know. That'd be like my Andrew too. He'd like, we'd be like, honey, okay, you, you just stay in this room and you work the whole time. And he'd we, be, he'd be put like. put him in the bathtub. Be like, this is your working area. He'd be like, okay. And then you wouldn't see him for 10 days. <laughs> just give him the Wi-Fi and shut the door. Literally. <laughs> And be like, it's okay, honey. There's another bathroom to use. You just, you, this one is all yours. This is you. This is you. We'll slide some meals under the door every now and then. We'll make a cat door. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. But no, I feel like I would want to be a good ruler because then your wealth would be, like, I feel like if you have an economically sound kingdom, you'd be able to maintain at least some of that wealth to a degree. Yeah. Right? But you wouldn't be as wealthy as a bad ruler. But I do agree. I think a side hustle would be called for. (laughs) Yeah. Making some extra cha-ching. Maybe I have an Etsy. Maybe I'm a good ruler. (laughs) Maybe I sell my clothes on Depop. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe maybe that's my side hustle. Maybe I start a podcast with one of my peasants. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. You spam. Who's your favorite royal pair? I don't have one. <laughs> it can be real or fictional. Okay, I like Julia Ro- or what's her name? Julia Roberts. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's not technically royalty, but Julia. I'll, I'll take it. <laughs> nah, I was gonna say Princess Mia and her whatever her grandmother's oh, name is. From the Princess Diaries. Yeah. I mean, they're not a couple, but, like, they're a power team. They're a pair. The question did say royal pair. Um, for me, I don't know. I'm gonna go with, like, the whole King Arthur thing, because those are always really great stories to read. Whatever. Uh, King Arthur and girl. No, her name is uh, Lady Guinevere, but in some of the stories she and him are married, and in some stories they're not married, so I guess it really depends. But that, I'll just say the King Arthur pair with whoever you want to (laughs) pick. King Uh, Arthur and friends. And friends. What's the first thing you'd do if you were to become royalty? Decree that no more baby magnets can be sold (laughs) in souvenir shops. (laughs) And then also make that Lord song, like, You'll never be royals. And I'll be like, No, they have to play it. Thank you, Lord. I'm royal, royal. (laughs) You'd you'd commission her to make a new song and then then play it every time you walk in the room and be like, And we're gonna be royals. Royals. Jennifer is royal. Royal. <laughs> oh, that'd be hilarious. She's spinning around the room with like a couple streamers. Royal. Just like a really fancy dress. I am royal. Royal. No more magnets. Magnets. 
you'd be the funniest royal person ever because you'd be completely ridiculous. Of course. If you're going to be royal, you have to be ridiculous. It's true. Mm-hmm. I would probably fly somewhere by myself and take a long vacation. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Right? And then I would come back and be like, hey, bitches. <laughs> So I'm here to do some charity work, yo. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> something. something. I'm here to like that. I would get a corgi. That's the first thing I'd do. It's true. Every legitimate royal needs to have a corgi. It's like your sidekick. It is. They're so sweet. Oh my gosh, I want to get one even though I'm not royal. <laughs> I love uh, those little memes people make about like corgi butts. Because they're so cute and fluffy. I know. They're just so sweet. Are you ready for a description? I am ready for a description. All right. So, a king or king's regent is the title given to a male monarch in a variety of contexts. The female equivalent of queen regent, uh, while the title of queen on its own usually reveals to the consort of a king. So, in the context of prehistory, antiquity, and contemporary indigenous peoples, the title may refer to tribal kingship. Germanic kingship is cognate with Indo-European's traditions of tribal rulership, uh, such as Indic Rajan, uh, Gothic Reeks, and Old Irish Re. In the context of classical antiquity, king may translate in Latin as Rex, and in Greek as Archon or Basilius. And in classical European feudalism, the title king as a ruler of a kingdom is understood to be the highest rank in the feudal order, potentially subject, at least nominally, only to the emperor, harking back to the client kings of the Roman Empire. And in a modern context, the title may refer to the ruler of one of a number of modern monarchs, either absolute or constitutional. The title of king is used alongside other titles for monarchs. So in the West, prince, emperor, archduke, duke, or grand duke, and in the Middle East, sultan, emir or etc the term king may also refer to a king consort a title that is sometimes given to the husband of a ruling queen but the title of prince consort is sometimes granted instead a king uh, dowager is the male equivalent of a queen dowager a king father is a king dowager who is also the father of a reigning sovereign so basically uh there's a lot of ways to be politically correct about what exactly a king or a queen is and there are a lot of titles given exactly on what your heritage is, whether or not you married in. Neato! So fancy. The more you know. It's bougie, even. This is almost as great as when I gave that uh, <laughs> description of what the Irish are. <laughs> I don't care what anyone says. I love that. Never forget. <laughs> that was my favorite description you ever get. And you're like, okay, so Ireland. <laughs> So I'm going to tell you what the Irish are. And you were like, oh no, but not the leprechauns. That's actually our most listened to podcast episode at this point. Oh, I believe it. The leprechauns were just too good. Everybody keeps going back. Back for the leprechauns. Back for the leprechauns. We need that on a shirt. <laughs> leprechauns. <laughs> just a hyphen. Mm-hmm. So... Today we're going to talk about a royal gentleman named Prince Andrew, the Duke of York. Now... The Duke of York. <laughs> now, before I get into who Prince Andrew is, or... Not, not my Andrew, a different Andrew. Prince Andrew, yeah. Prince. <laughs> You're engaged to King Andrew. Oh, yes, of course. 
before we talk about who he is or the crime of this story, let me just put out a quick disclaimer and say the information you're about to hear was gathered from a variety of sources and I'm simply repeating the public information around this case. This also applies to what I have to say. The allegations in this case may or may not be true and a lot of what we are about to talk about was hearsay and I am not- This is also with my case. (laughs) I am not a judge, so I'm not trying to say I know any of this information for a fact, and I'm not trying to defame anyone's character, so do with that as you will, and if you're interested in this case, I highly recommend doing your own research. I ain't trying to defame you, Prince Andrew, but we gonna talk about some shit. Well, is he still alive? Yep. (laughs) I'm also trying not to get assassinated next time I go to the UK. If you don't come back from... (laughs) Where are you going? Lethbridge? If you don't come back from Lethbridge, it'll be because you were assassinated. (laughs) From the UK? (laughs) They're like, where is Lethbridge? How do we get there? They just find the tallest mountain in Britain, and then they have a sniper. <laughs> to let bitch. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. That's how I'm gonna go. Right? Now, now that that's out of the way, let's jump into it. <clears throat> so, Prince Andrew, Duke of York, not Emily's Andrew, King of... King of himself. King of Red Deer. <laughs> <laughs> King of Red Deer. <laughs> yes, quite. King of the fitness world. King of fitness. <laughs> um... <laughs> I'm going to tell him that's his new name. I'm changing his name on Facebook and nobody can stop me. You have his passwords. I do. <laughs> also known as Andrew Albert Christian Edward. Oh, fancy. <laughs> Four names. Is a member of the British royal family and was born in the Belgian suite of the Buckingham Palace on February 19th in 1960. He is the third child and second son of Queen Elizabeth II and Prince Philip, Duke of Edinburgh. Duke of Edinburgh. At the time of his birth, he was the second in line of succession to the British throne. And as of March 2019, he is seventh in line. Oh, wow. That's quite the... So some people hopped in front of him and Duke is like, Hey, man, get out of my lane. (laughs) Stay in your lane. (laughs) Prince Andrew is the namesake of his parental grandfather, Prince Andrew of Greece and Denmark, who died 16 years before he was born. Mm. And, fun fact, he was the first child born to a reigning monarch since the birth in 1857 of Queen Victoria's youngest child, Princess Beatrice. As with his older siblings, Andrew was looked after by a governess who was responsible for his early education at Buckingham Palace. He was sent to Heatherdown School near... He was sent to Hell. Hell School near Ascot in Berkshire in September 1973. He was sent to Hell School. I mean, same. That's how we met. No. In September 1973, he entered Gordstown in northern Scotland, which his father and elder brother had attended before him. While there, he spent six months from January to June 1977 participating in an exchange program to Lakefield College School in Canada. He left Gordstown in July two years later with A-level in English, History, Economics, and Political Silence. Silence. And political silence. Political science. (laughs) Fun. Um, 
He did not go to university, but instead entered the Britannia Royal Naval College at Dartmouth. The royal household announced in November 1978 that Prince Andrew would join the Royal Navy the following year. In the December, he underwent various sporting tests and examinations at the Aircrew Selection Center and did a bunch of stuff, which is irrelevant. During March and... April 1979, the prince was enrolled at the Royal Naval College flight, undergoing pilot training until he was accepted as a trainee helicopter pilot and signed on for 12 years from May 11th, 1979. And on September 1st of the same year, he was appointed as a midship and entered Britannia Royal Naval College, Dartmouth. During 1980, he also took the Royal Marines All Arms Commando course. After passing this program at Dartmouth, The prince went on to elementary flying training with the Royal Air Force at RAF Leeming and later basic flying training with the Navy at HMS Seahawk, where he learned to fly the Gazelle helicopter. After being awarded his wings, he moved on to more advanced things at the Sea King helicopter and conducted operational flight training until 1982. He joined Career Base Squadron 820 Naval Air Squadron, serving abroad the air aircraft HMS Invincible. As of February 2015, he holds the rank of commander and honorary rank of vice admiral in the Royal Navy in which he served as an active duty helicopter pilot and instructor as the captain of a warship. He saw active service during the Falklands War, flying on multiple missions including anti-surface warfare, excot missile decoy, and casualty evacuation. Now, he had quite a lot of involvement in the Falklands War, which was a war that was fought over the Falkland Islands Mm -hmm. that were a British overseas territory claimed by Argentina and were invaded by Argentina on April 2nd, 1982, an event that instigated the war. He also had quite a long career in the Navy, but we aren't going to talk about either of those things because they're completely irrelevant to the story. Ah, gotcha. (laughs) And they have a lot of fancy military words that I don't know how to pronounce. That is very fair. And... I'm tired of saying point blah, blah, blah gun and people making fun of me in their heads because I know you're doing it. Because <laughs> also Jen can read mine. Her third eye, it travels through the microphone into your ears. <laughs> I hear your thoughts. What a fucking idiot. Can't even pronounce <laughs> gun speak. Can't pronounce gun speak. We don't know guns, but we have stuff. <laughs> Anyways, so Prince Andrew married Sarah Ferguson at Westminster Abbey on July 23rd, 1986. The same day, the Queen created him Duke of York, Earl of Inverness, and Baron of Killingley. The first two of these titles were previously held by both his maternal great-grandfather and grandfather. Prince Andrew had known Ferguson since childhood. They met occasionally at polo matches and became reacquainted with each other at the Royal Ascot in 1985. And how fucking posh is it that they met at polo matches? More posh than I will ever know. The couple appeared to have a happy marriage and had two daughters together presenting a united outward appearance during the late 1980s. His wife's personal qualities were seen as refreshing in the context of the formal protocol surrounding the royal family. However, 
the Duke of York's frequent travel due to his military career as well as relentless, often critical media attention focused on the Duchess of York led to fractures in their marriage. Mm -hmm. On March 19, 1992, the couple announced plans to separate and did so in an amicable way. Some months later, pictures appeared in the tabloid media of the Duchess in intimate association with John Bryan, her financial advisor at the time, which effectively ended any hopes of reconciliation between the Duke and Duchess. Mm -hmm. The marriage was ended in divorce on May 30th, 1996. The Duke of York spoke fondly of his former wife, saying, We have managed to work together to bring up our children in a way that few others have been able to, and I am extremely grateful to be able to do that. The couple agreed to share custody of their two daughters, and the Duchess continued to live at the Duke's home in Sunning Hill Park until 2004, when he moved to the Royal Lodge. In 2003, Richard Kay, in his first gossip column for the Daily Mail, asserted that the Duke was about to marry a businesswoman named Amanda Staveley. She was reported in the Sunday Telegraph as saying, I will not be marrying Andrew now or in the future. (laughs) In 2007, Sarah, Duchess of York, purchased something called the Dolphin House, a mansion directly beside the Royal Lodge. In 2008, a fire at the Dolphin House resulted in Sarah moving into the Royal Lodge, again sharing a house with the Duke of York. Prince Andrew's lease of Royal Lodge is for 75 years with the Crown Estate as landlord, and there is no annual tenancy charge. That also has nothing to do with this story, but I just thought that's crazy. That is really weird, actually. Mm-hmm. Huh. Also, the fact that her mansion's called the Dolphin House. That is interesting on its own. <laughs> Like, what are you doing in there, Sarah? I hope she has dolphins. She better. You can't call it the dolphin house and then not have dolphins (laughs) in your house. That's the crime. (laughs) (laughs) The crime is releasing dolphins back into the ocean. (laughs) So, I'm sure you're wondering what the big long disclaimer was all about. Yes, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if royal families are known for something, I'm pretty sure it would be scandals. I was literally about to say scandals. (laughs) And honestly, our guy Prince Andrews here was involved in a lot of scandals and shady business dealings. I love shady business. However, today we are only going to talk about one of those scandals in particular. Oh, okay. I don't think I would know this one. (laughs) Probably not. So, in January 2015, a woman by the name of Virginia Roberts, she was an American woman, who made allegations of sexual impropriety against the Duke in court papers related to a civil action in Florida arising from the Epstein affair, but to which the Duke was not a party. So let me just quickly explain what the Epson affair is. It was a case regarding Jeffrey Edward Epson, who was an American financer, science, and research philanthropist. Mm -hmm. The International Business Times reported that papers filed in a 2006 lawsuit alleged that Epstein installed concealed cameras in numerous places on his property to record sexual activity with underage girls by prominent people for criminal purposes such as blackmail. Epstein allegedly loaned girls to powerful people to integrate himself with them and also gain possible blackmail information. In 2015, evidence came to light that one of the powerful men at Epstein's mansion may have been Prince Andrew, the Duke of York. Oh, nice. A former employee that told the police that Epstein would receive massages... (laughs) 
at least three times a day. Ah! Eventually, the FBI received accounts from 36 girls whose allegations of molestation by Epstein included overlapping details. The investigation resulted in a 53-page federal indictment. (laughs) Also, fun fact, also not related to this story, I was doing a lot of research on this Epstein guy or Mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. He owned a 55,000 square foot, nine story mansion off of Fifth Avenue in Manhattan, New York. What? Yeah. This dude was like fucking loaded to a point that I can't even understand. That literally, those numbers all together blurred in my head. I was like, that's too much. That's like a lot of money. That is so much. This guy, oh, I could do a whole story on him because my blood boils hearing all the fucking crazy shit that he did. But let's just get into- But we're talking about royalty. We're, let's talk about the Duke. I'll tell you guys the story another day or you can look it up. I don't care. <laughs> So the victim, Virginia Roberts, claimed that alleged in a sworn affidavit at the age of 17, she had been held as a sex slave by Epstein. She further alleged that he had trafficked her to several people, including Prince Andrew and Harvard Law Professor Alan Dershowitz. Dershowitz was also Epstein's defense attorney. Oh, nice. Yeah. Fuck that guy. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, fuck them all. All of them. Roberts also claimed that Epstein and others had physically and sexually abused her. She alleged that she was first introduced to and for 10,000 euro had sex with the Duke on a trip to London in 2001 Mm -hmm. when she was 17 years old. Oh, nice. And again in New York when she was also 17. Barf, barf, and barf. Flight logs show the Duke and Virginia Roberts were in the same places when she alleges sex happened. The Duke and Roberts were also photographed together with the Duke's arm around her waist. Roberts said that she was pressured to have sex with the Duke and wouldn't have dared object and feared leaving as she felt Epstein, through context, could have gotten her killed or abducted. Oh, nice. The allegations have, as early as 2015, have not been tested in any court, but Roberts repeated allegations against the Duke and against Epstein in a sworn legal statement under penalty of pre-jury. I don't like it. Buckingham Palace stated that any suggestion of impropriety with underage minors is categorically untrue, later repeating the denials. Lawyers for Roberts claim a request to the Duke for a statement under oath about allegations was returned unanswered. So he basically wouldn't say anything under oath. Right. Just nothing. Further, when the Duke was asked if he planned to reply under oath, he refused to answer and left the room. The American government may also be trying to prevent the Duke having to testify under oath because this was all tangled up in Epstein's case. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't want to go into too much details about that because it's a whole other well, thing. Well, because they're related cases, if anything was to be said into his case, it could be applied to the Epstein case. Also, he basically, Epstein got basically a slap on the wrist where he had to do a year of prison time, but was allowed work release so he could go to his Manhattan office for 12 hours a day. Fuck him. And so there was a really big scandal involved with all of that where people were like, hey, government, why are you letting this, like, guy who was running a sex slave and prostituting girls out off with basically a slap on the wrist? Yeah, like, why are you letting this highfalutin pimp 
do whatever the heck he wants. Pretty much. So Dershowitz, who was the Harvard professor and Epson's defense lawyer, Mm -hmm. said, she's lied about me. She should not be believed about anyone else. It must be presumed all her allegations against Prince Andrew were false as well. Dershowitz initiated legal proceedings contesting the allegations and he and Epson are suing the lawyers representing Roberts. In response, Virginia Roberts stated she would not be bullied back into silence. On April 7th, 2015, Judge Kenneth Mara ruled that the sex allegations made against Prince Andrew in court papers filed in Florida must be struck from public record. Mm. Mara made no rulings as to whether claims about Rogers are true or false, especially stating that Roberts may later give evidence when the case comes to court. And Mara was the same judge who gave Epstein basically a holiday. Yeah. (laughs) You can go to jail at night. Yeah. You can sleep there, but do whatever you want during the day. Yeah, that's fine. Oh, and it wasn't even regular jail. It was a private compound where he was allowed to hire his own security. Ugh! Yeah. That is... Ugh! Okay. Yeah. Roberts alleged that the FBI may have been involved in the cover-up. She said that she had served as Epson's sex slave from 1999 to 2002 and had recruited other underage girls. Prince Andrew, Epson, and Dershowitz all denied having sex with Roberts. Dershowitz took legal action over the allegations. A diary purported to belong to Roberts was published online. Epstein entered an out-of-court settlement with Roberts, as he had done in several other lawsuits. Mm. As of 2016, these claims have not been testified in any court, and unfortunately, this whole thing has left Roberts in a he-said-she-said situation Hence the disclaimer, because these are all allegations and everything yeah. was struck from the record and conveniently. And all hearsay. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Um, but I personally feel like this is the perfect example of someone in a position of wealth and power abusing that power and wealth to make people like Roberts just go away, which honestly kind of makes me want to rip my own face off. So, yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> that is insanity. I can see why you wanted to talk about this so bad. I've been brewing in this. I've been brewing? <laughs> You're like, I've been simmering, simmering in my anger. Me and John have been, we're talking about this the other night for five hours. Just this case. Fair enough. There is a lot <laughs> of stuff to talk about. I hate And like, Epstein, if any of you look up his face he looks like a guy that you would just like find at a country club mm. just like hanging out like one a of the TV guys, dad yeah like one of the guys who hangs up by the bar and doesn't have any friends there with him and he's like hey ladies <laughs> who wants to fuck Ugh. some of these th- stories where you hear them they just kind of give me like a shiver up my spine and like a slight feeling of nausea Blah. and also Another fun fact about Epstein, which I know this is not about him, (laughs) but I'm going to tell you anyways. Yeah, he's involved. He gave a lot of, like, charitable donations to children's foundations. Oh, of course he did, because then he could use that in his defense and be like, well, why would I take advantage of underage girls? Look at all this charitable work I've done. That is awful. Let's come back! He was actually... Well, kind of convicted. He got off pretty much with it all, but he is registered as a sex offender. Good. Forever, I hope. Yeah. You see, I feel like if you're registered as a sex offender for life, they should even put that on your gravestone just in case you come back from the dead. (laughs) This zombie will probably molest children. (laughs) Look out. It's like a disclaimer on the tombstone. (laughs) 
<laughs> the cemetery is not responsible for the uprising of said sex offender. <laughs> oh, that's crazy. My guy is is his is a very not like similar to yours in like the nowadays context. It's very much hearsay because it's a very very old royalty case, but he is very notorious actually when it comes to royal persons. And I know you haven't heard of him whatsoever, because when I was doing my research, I had not heard of him either. (laughs) I feel like I really do not keep up on any royal people, so I probably don't know anything. I barely know what happened to Diana, and that's, like, one of the most talked about cases Yeah, that's, like, where I'm at, too. (laughs) Yes. So, are you ready to hear about Elagabalus? Yeah, I am. I'm excited to hear you butcher that for the next 20 minutes. It is uh, Roman, so this is going to be interesting. (laughs) So, Elagabal... Oh my god. We are starting off bad. So, Elagabalus, also known as Heliogabalus, the Latin is Marcus Aurelius Antonius Augustus. Let's just call him Marcus for this. That's fair. <laughs> or uh, I'll call him Ballas or El Gala. Alaga. Halaga. I'll figure it out. <laughs> we'll call him something. But he. The dude. The dude. Uh, was a Roman emperor from the years 218 to 222. Holy fuck, he's old. Uh huh. <laughs> Is he still alive? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just saw him the other day. We did an interview. <laughs> Great. <laughs> I'm a fucking time traveler. What do you know? <laughs> Anyways, he was a member of the Severian dynasty. He was Syrian and the second son of Julia Siomius and Sextus Varius Marcellus. And in his early youth, he served the god El Galabalus as a priest in Emisa, the hometown of his mother's family. As a private citizen, he was probably named Sextus Varius Avidus Bassanius. Upon becoming emperor, he took the name Marcus Aurelius Antonius Augustus. He was called El Galabalus only after his death. There's there's some context. (laughs) Gotcha. So in 217, the emperor Caracalla was assassinated and replaced by his praetorian prefect, Marcus Opelus Macrinus. Caracalla's maternal aunt, Julia Meza, successfully instigated a revolt among the third legion to have her eldest grandson and Caracalla's cousin, Agalabalus, declared emperor in his place. So Macrinus was defeated on the 8th of June in 218 at the Battle of Antonioc, or Antoch. There's going to be so much butchering, guys. So <laughs> Sorry in advance. Yep. So Agalabalus, barely 14 years old, became emperor, initiating a reign remembered mainly for his sex scandals and religious controversy. Great. Uh-huh. So later historians suggest that Agalabalus showed a disregard for Roman religious traditions and sexual taboos. He replaced the traditional head of the Roman pantheon, Jupiter, with the deity uh, Agalabalus, to whom he had been a high priest for, and he forced leading members of Rome's government to participate in religious rites celebrating this deity for whom he, he personally presided. So Agalabalus was supposedly married, quote-unquote, as many as five times, lavishing favors on male couriers, popularly thought to have been his lovers and was reported to have prostituted himself in the imperial palace. See, that's a side hustle. 
I know. (laughs) (laughs) So his behavior, estranged by the Praetorian Guard and the Senate and the common people alike. Amidst growing opposition, Agalabalus, just 18 years old, was assassinated and replaced by his own cousin, Severus Alexander, on the 11th of March, 222, who ruled for 13 years before his own assassination, which marked the epoch event for the crisis of the third century. So Agalabalus was only an emperor for four years and was such a shit disturber, he was assassinated before he even turned 19. And they're like, hey, you're that guy's cousin. Can you just, like, step Can in? Can you, like, sub in? <laughs> Seriously. Step up, boy. <laughs> For 13 years, yep. So the assassination plot against Agalabalus was devised by his own grandmother, Julia Meza. <laughs> My grandma? Like, get that bitch out of here. Seriously, she's like, okay, like, I didn't think it was gonna be this far, and I kind of want him out. <laughs> He's out. Carried out by disaffected members of the Praetorian Guard. So Agalabalus developed a reputation among his contemporaries for extreme eccentricity, decadence, and zealotry. This tradition has persisted, and with the writers of the early modern age, he suffers one of the worst reputations among Roman emperors. Edward Gibbon, for example, wrote that Agalabalus abandoned himself to the grossest pleasures and ungoverned fury, which, I mean, that's how I want to be remembered. <laughs> he was gross. <laughs> he was gross <laughs> and ungoverned. That's what I'm right on your tombstone. And Emily lo- was gross, gross and lawlessly <laughs> angry. She had a fire in her belly. A fire in her belly. According to Barthold George Neober, a guy with a name, a guy with a name, uh, the name Agalabalus is branded in history above all others because of his unspeakably disgusting life. (laughs) Also me. Yep. So I'm just going to talk about these sections of his life that people like to focus on. So the religious side of why he was infamous. Since the reign of Septimus Severus, sun worship has increased throughout the empire and Elgalabalus saw this as an opportunity to install Elgalabal or Elagabal as the chief deity of the Roman pantheon. The god was renamed Dius Sol Invictus, meaning god of the undefeated sun and honored above Jupiter. So Jupiter, as you know, would be the Greek, like Greek Zeus, Roman, Jupiter. Okay. Right. So, as a token of respect for the Roman religion, however, Elgalabalus joined either Asart, Minerva, and Urania, or some combination of the three, to Elgalabal as consort. A union between Elagabal, who's a different guy with a similar name. Too many guys with names. You know what? We're gonna move on. <laughs> and a traditional goddess would have served to strengthen the ties between the new religion and the imperial cult. In fact, there may have been an effort to introduce Elagabal, Urania, and Athena as the new Capitoline triad of Rome, replacing Jupiter, Juno, and Minerva. He aroused further discontent when he married the Vestal Virgin Aquilia Severa, claiming the marriage would produce godlike children, and this was flagrant breach of Roman law and tradition, which held that any Vestal found to have engaged in sexual intercourse was to be buried alive. So a Vestal was pretty much like a Roman nun. They, right. were, they were somebody who tended to the temple, that sort of thing. They were, they were valued kind of like a priestess almost, just to put into relatable terms. Uh, so if they were to found to have been uh, engaged in sexual intercourse, they would have had to have been buried alive as per Roman law. Oh, nice. 
Yeah, I know. That's fair. Yeah, seems like a totally fair punishment. Yeah, you know, uh, the cause equals the crime. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lavish temple called the Elagabalium was built on the east face of the Palatine Hill to house Elagabal, who was represented by a black conical meteorite from Amiza. Herodian wrote, The stone is worshipped as though it were sent from heaven. On it there are small projecting pieces and markings that are pointed out, which the people would like to believe are a rough picture of the sun, because this is how they see them. In order to become the high priest of his new religion, Elagabalus had himself circumcised. He forced senators to watch while he danced around the altar of Dos Sol Invictus to the accompaniment of drums and cymbals. Which I don't think that's how circumcisions usually go. But like, I'm here for it. But I mean, I am a woman. I've never, (laughs) I've never had to have one. No one's ever invited me. I've never been invited. (laughs) Come on, guys. Each summer solstice, he held a festival dedicated to the god, which became popular with the masses because of the free food distributed at these occasions. (laughs) The only reason I show up to events. Right, you're like, yeah. Free food. Pizza, sure. Pizza party. During this festival, Elagabalus placed the Emisa stone on a chariot adorned with gold and jewels, which he paraded through the city, which would be a six-horse chariot carried the divinity. The horse is huge and flawlessly white, one with expensive gold fittings and rich ornaments. No one held the reins and no one rode in the chariot. The vehicle was escorted as if God himself were the charioteer. Elagabalus ran backward in front of the chariot, facing the god and holding the horse's reins. He made the whole journey in this reverse fashion and looked up into the face of his god. So I want you... No, I want you to picture that, okay? It's a chariot, okay? Okay. With this giant meteorite in the back of it. And the horses are huge and white and the guy, the Roman Emperor, had the reins in his hand and was running backwards to lead the horses and would tell people it was because the the deity that he worshipped was leading the chariot and that he was doing this so he could look into the eyes of his god. The most impressive part is that he ran backwards because that's hard. Yeah, with a meteorite in a cart. <laughs> and the white horses too. Like, those are hard to find. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> this entire picture I read and I was like, that's... That takes a lot of coordinating. That is some imagery. (laughs) (laughs) The most sacred relics from the Roman religion were transferred from the respective shrines to the Alagabalium, including the emblem of the Great Mother, the Fire of Vesta, the Shields of the Sali, and the Palladium, so that no other god could be worshipped except in association with Alagabal. Wow. Right? That pretty much wraps up his religious notoriety. So now we're, we're getting to the exciting part with the sexual notoriety. Ooh, scandalous. Ooh, a scandal. So, Roman denarius depicting Aquila Severa, the second wife of Elagabalus. The marriage caused the public outrage because Aquila was a vestal virgin, like we talked about earlier, who was sworn by Roman law to celibacy for 30 years. The question of Elagabalus' sexual orientation is confusing owing to the salacious and unreliable sources. So, Elagabalus married and divorced five women, three of whom were known. So, his first wife was Julia Cornell. Paula. The second was Vestal Virgin Julia Aquila Severa. And then within a year, he abandoned her and married Ania Aureliana Faustina, a descendant of Marcus Aurelius and the widow of a man he recently had had executed. So he had returned to his second wife, Severa, by the end of the year. <laughs> of course, He's just like, now. Nah. Yeah, seriously. Uh, so according to Cassius Dio, his most stable relationship seems to have been with his chariot driver, a blonde slave from Caria, Hereculis. Hereculis. 
Hierocles, Herc, we'll call him Herc, <laughs> so whom he referred to as his husband. The Augustan history claims that he also married a man named Zoticus, Zoticus, an athlete from Smyrna, in a public ceremony in Rome. And Cassius Dio reported that Elagabalus would paint his eyes, depilate his body hair, and wear wigs before prostituting himself in caverns and brothels and even in the imperial palace. So basically, if we're going to go back and just summarize these last couple of uh, sentences here, he married and divorced five different women on record, three of which they actually know the names of. One of them was a nun, more or less. And then at the same time had a unofficial marriage to his chariot driver who was a blonde slave that he himself called to be his husband and then was also married publicly to a man and while he was married to this man would cross-dress and then go prostitute himself in the palace and then uh, other places. As one does. As one does, yeah. You know, a regular Saturday night. <laughs> Living my best life, yo. Hashtag YOLO. Finally, he set aside a room in the palace and there committed his indecencies, always standing nude at the door of the room, as the harlots do, and shaking the curtain which hung from gold rings while in a soft and melting voice he solicited the passerbys. That's a power move. Isn't it? (laughs) Your emperor seducing everyone in the palace using, like, a curtain. Come here, boys or ladies. Basically, when I was reading the notes, they compared it to... Do you remember when we were in Amsterdam and they had those ladies standing in the doors with the curtains? Yeah, in the red light district. Literally, it's... Uh, it's supposed to be comparable to this. So they had women who would do the same thing in Rome with the curtains and everything and stand in a window. And he made his own room in a palace where he could do that with the curtains and everything. But he did it in the door instead of a window. Because he's the emperor. He does what he wants. Literally. He does whatever he wants. And keep in mind, this guy is somewhere between 14 and 18 years old in this time when all this is happening. And then he gets assassinated by his grandma. Right. So keep that in mind. <laughs> So, so uh, while in a soft and melting voice, he solicited the passerbys. There were, of course, men who had been specially instructed to play their part. <laughs> For, as in other matters, so in this business, too, he had numerous agents who sought out those who could best please him with their foulness. Oh, my God. <laughs> People on the palace were like, we just gotta keep this guy going. Like, this is all we got. Okay, they're like, okay, clearly he wants sex. Go find the people who also want this. <laughs> <laughs> or even if they don't, we'll just give him some money and it'll be fine. He would collect money from his patrons and give himself airs over his gains. He would also dispute with his associates in this shameful occupation, claiming that he had more lovers than they and took in more money. Yeah, so, fuck y'all. I got a side hustle. No, he, yeah, literally, he would boast to everybody who would listen, hey, I have way more sex than you and they pay me. <laughs> and I'm making the cha-ching, cha-ching. I'm heading to Bora Bora soon as soon Herodian, uh, so this is his blonde slave husband, commented that Elagabalus enhanced his natural good looks by the regular application of cosmetics. He was described as to have been delighted to have been called the mistress, the wife, and the queen of Heracles, the blonde chariot driver, and was reported to have offered vast sums of money to any physician who could equip him with female genitalia. Elagabalus has been characterized by some modern writers as transgender or transsexual, which is fair. Sounds kind of along those lines. Yeah, so him... 
and who he is as a person, kind of that, that is what it is in summary. But I do have two more things I would like to add that I read in post from other sources, as your story also <laughs> mentions. So these are some of his uh, recorded notorious activities that kind of fell outside of his regular notorious activities. He's got side side hustles. Yeah. So the first one is he opened the royal baths to attract well-endowed men. <laughs> Which I'm all, I'm on board so far. Smart. <laughs> right? Power move. <laughs> power move. Total power move. <laughs> so uh, it would have been blasphemous for an emperor to bathe in public, let alone with the public. But Elagabalus didn't care. He opened the palace baths and the baths of Palatinus to the general populace, but he had an ulterior motive. By this means, he might get a supply of men with unusually large organs. And that wasn't all he did. Elagabalus supposedly also took care to have the whole city and the wharves search for Onobele, uh, also known as those who were particularly lusty. Yep. So the word is a rough combination of the Greek words for donkey and weapon. And you can fill the <laughs> blanks in there. <laughs> I mean, I like to think I'm mature most of the time. But, but like, not I literally here. read the sentence that I was like, Greek for donkey weapon. And I couldn't <laughs> contain myself. So good. It's precious. <laughs> You're welcome for that precious gem, <laughs> listeners. Okay, I'm going to repeat that word for you guys. It's Onobeli. O-N-O-B-E-L-I. Use it as much as you wish. Hey, Onobeli. You got an Onobeli? <laughs> What's that? A donkey weapon. <laughs> okay, I have one more. I'm getting fired from my next job because of that word. Right? They're going to be like, what? that is crazy lady kick her off set <laughs> she's looking for well-endowed men <laughs> the other thing i have to add my last thing to add is he pranked people by sicking animals on them okay wow so elagabalus loved playing jokes on dinner party guests during the dessert course, the emperor would let lions and leopards, which had been rendered harmless and trained by tamers, causing for amusing panic, for none knew that the beasts were harmless. So once Elagabalus collected tons of snakes and proceeded to let them loose in a crowd, where the populace was usually assembled for the more frequent games, causing people to be harmed by their fangs as well as in the general panic. Even the streets weren't safe. Elagabalus also had a habit of riding chariots driven by exotic animals like camels or elephants. And that is the end of the saga of Elagabalus, which name is probably mispronounced XOXO. Sorry, not sorry. A lot of really hard names. What a shit disturber. That's it for this episode. <laughs> uh but yeah, no, uh, uh, but on another note, though, when I read this, I, I have been trying to steer away from the names that I know I can't pronounce for the last little while, but then I read this and I was like, oh, I want to talk about but it. But I want to talk about it. <laughs> uh, I guess that wraps it up for this week's episode. Hey, hey, I guess that wraps it up for this episode. <laughs> this week's episode. This episode. It's a week, though. This week's episode. We, we release them weekly. You have to be politically correct. I don't have... Don't tell me what to do. <laughs> hey, now. Don't tell me what to do. All right. <laughs> I'm a growing woman. Okay, fine. So you can find us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Please give us five stars on iTunes. It really helps us out. Uh, helps us reach more people. Makes us feel good about ourselves. Helps us be, to bring more con content to our listeners. 
Yeah, we're going to be uploading some videos on the platform known as YouTube. Yes, so you can finally see what our very animated and interesting faces look like. So look forward to that in the near future. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you can also email us at wheelofcrime at gmail.com. Or find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, Wheel of Crime. That's it. That's all I have to add. We spun a couple weeks ago for our next episode, and then we forgot what day it was. So next time we're going to be talking about middle of nowhere crimes. We're finally caught back up. We're finally there, guys. So we will see you next week with that. And this is Jen. Bye. Bye. M says bye. M says bye. M says bye. (laughs)